This meeting is being recorded. Awesome. So, hello everyone. Welcome to today's uh, Friends of the British Overseas Territories event. I'm just going to wait one minute just to ensure that everybody has a chance to join. And I'm also going to pop everybody on mute just so that we don't have any background noise as well. So I'm just going to wait one minute just to make sure that everybody has the chance to join the call. Okay, I think that that's going to be everyone. Of course, there will be more people joining um, during the event, but that will be it for now. So we'll get started. Um, welcome to today's event with the Friends of the British Overseas Territories. My name is Reem. I am the events coordinator here at uh, FOPBOT. And um, so Friends of the British Overseas Territories is a charitable organisation which aims to promote the overseas territories and their interests and strengthen the UK's deep historic links to them. So I'm super duper excited to welcome our fantastic speakers for today's event. Um, we are sort of talking about preserving Gibraltar's heritage for the future and um, we'll be discussing the history of Gibraltar and the present and future challenges and opportunities for, the, uh, for this fantastic British Overseas Territory. Um, we will talk about each panellist and they'll also be able to talk about their respective organisations, the work that they do and hopefully tell the story of how they work together on the Lord Aries Battery Project. The project is a fantastic example of the work that they do to preserve and restore Gibraltar's heritage. So we will, we will be opening up the floor for questions uh, about halfway through the event. So if you'd like to ask a question to our panel, uh, please just write it into the chat or you can email me if you've, if you've got my email as well. Um, but write it into the chat and we, I can read it out for you so you are sure that your question can be answered. Um, just also a bit of housekeeping, try and make sure you keep yourself on mute uh, unless obviously you're the speaker that's speaking, um, just to make sure that there's um, the least amount of background noise as possible. Fantastic. So I'm just going to introduce our amazing speakers today. We have Len Goss from the Friends of Gibraltar Heritage Society. Len Goss is the Marketing and Engagement Director and a trustee at the Friends of Gibraltar Heritage Society. He is a, commu is a community of people with a shared passion in supporting and sharing and promoting Gibraltar's rich heritage and culture. We also have Andrew Lord, who is uh, from Alabare. Andrew has been the chief executive of Alabare since May 2000 and it is a charity which provides care and support for vulnerable people. He is also the CIPFA qualified accountant and has an MBA from Southampton University. Uh, in May 2022, Andrew led a team of veterans to Gibraltar for the innovative project to help restore Lord Aries battery and contribute to the recovery of the veterans. 
So we'll hear a little bit more about that today as well. And we also have the wonderful Peter Jackson from Gibraltar Heritage Trust. Peter Jackson is a member of Gibraltar Heritage Trust, which is an independent statutory body entrusted with the preservation of Gibraltar's heritage. It aims to work in partnership with all like-minded bodies, both locally and internationally. So without further ado, I would like to hand over to Len Goss from the Friends of Gibraltar Heritage Society. got to unmute myself. <laughs> thank you, Raheem. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you all for coming. Uh, I'm Len from the Friends of Gibraltar Heritage Society. I was, uh, I was born in Gibraltar in the 50s, lived there in the 60s as a young teenager and then moved to the UK where I've lived since. Um, but I go back regularly and I've been in touch with the developments over the last 60 years in Gibraltar. What I'd like to do is just to give you a brief kind of heli helicopter view of the last two and a half, two thousand years <laughs> in about a minute and I thought the best way of doing that is just to show you uh, if I can get the right screen up can you see the screen there yeah okay um, well you'll probably all be familiar with the Mediterranean there and most of you I'm sure know but some of you may not be very clear it's exactly where Gibraltar is. Well, Gibraltar is a little place down there. Now, for the last two, two and a half thousand years, Gibraltar being at the mouth of the Mediterranean has had influences uh, come and go over the years from just about everywhere in the Mediterranean. So we had the Phoenicians coming over from the eastern side two, two and a half thousand years. We had the Greeks coming uh, a little bit later. Then we had the Roman Empire coming. Um, since then, we've had Jewish people come over. We've had Italians, mainly from Genoa, come over there. We've had some people from Malta, uh, and of course, a lot of people from Spain, and of course, the Moroccans. And uh, uh, we've had several invasions from Morocco over the last two millennium, uh, retakes by Spain. So it's been quite a melting pot. Um, Gibraltar and of course being at the mouth of the Mediterranean a very important strategic point with the Suez Canal opening and it being a major route for the UK to keep in touch with its empire and it used to work on trying to sort of keep posts so we had a post that obviously in the UK it used Gibraltar as a post for trading uh, Malta as well way over there through the Suez Canal into India. So we even had Indian traders come over and settle in Gibraltar as well. And that has been pretty much the story of Gibraltar uh, for the last two, two and a half thousand years. We've had all these different cultures, people all come into a small place like this. So if I zoom into Gibraltar now, you begin to see just how small it actually is. So it's just that little bit there. It's about two miles long and about a mile wide. And there's about 35,000 people on it. And those 35,000 people come from all those different places that I mentioned. Um, plus, plus, obviously, um, uh, UK expats that have stayed there. And it's been a tremendous mix. In the 1960s, I remember very well growing up there, Gibraltar was heavily dependent on the British forces, the MOD, 
and the fact that it was primarily a military garrison town and played a very strategic, important role, obviously, during the Second World War, but continued to do that into the 50s and 60s. Um, after that, then the, um, the emphasis started to move and the population in Gibraltar, the native Gibraltarians, would mainly support, uh, support people for the MOD and the military. Uh, and I remember very well um, how Gibraltarians, most of them worked for either for the MOD, uh, for the military establishment, and th their aspirations were heavily influenced by it, and so was the culture. In the 1970s, the MOD and the British uh, forces started to withdraw. The amount of money and the amount of work that was available there um, reduced. The border between Gibraltar and Spain just there had been shut from 69 all the way through to 83, I think it was. So Gibraltar had a massive identity crisis, and it didn't. And at first, it was quite a culture shock. But it had, so, so what it did, and I'm so impressed by it, I've been going back most years for the last 50 years, and the transition from being mainly a support culture and community helping the, the military um, transformed itself into being highly educated, um, very much focused on professional services and becoming professionals themselves rather than um, kind of support labor staff for the military. And with it came a pride and with it became uh, an, a tremendous need for identity and nationalism that came out of that. So the culture in Gibraltar now is still incredibly rich. If you go up and down the main street in Gibraltar, you'll pass an Indian shop, you'll pass a Pakistani shop, you'll pass a a Jewish, a Moorish shop, you'll pass a British pub, you'll pass a, a British, you, you'll hear virtually every language you can imagine in such a small place like that. It's extremely unique, uh, very, very weird. And even though I, I, it's been part of my life for so long, every time I go back there, it's I, I still have to sort of uh, double take and readjust to the, to the fact that it's so different uh, with the people there. So um, at the moment, uh, now it's doing extremely well because of its re-engineering uh, re of its identity. Uh, the commercial sector, the business sector uh, has become very, very successful. It's one of the most uh, wealthiest places in the world. I believe in terms of income per head, it's in the top 10. Um, and people enjoy a very, very good lifestyle there. Um, the, the biggest challenges, if I now move on to the future, and if I look at the heritage, obviously the heritage is a byproduct of the brief history that I've mentioned. But the, the, the major challenges for the heritage um, interest, and obviously that's where we come in, is the fact that it is so small, it is growing, it is one of the most densely populated places in the world. So there is a massive, massive competitive pressures for the use of land and with half of Gibraltar being effectively a, a, an old castle, fortress, um, military establishments etc there's always this these competitive pressures between tourism, residential and what to do with the heritage. Uh, so the challenge for Gibraltar in the future is how to actually balance and juggle that and it's a um, and Peter Jackson is more familiar because he's based in Gibraltar and he'll be able to say a little bit more just how difficult it is 
to maintain and uh, keep the heritage story alive whilst there's so many uh, competitive pressures for land and for usage. Um, but Gibraltar has proved itself extremely resilient and extremely imaginative. And uh, I must admit, I've been very impressed with what's happened in the last 50 years and seeing what the future holds, uh, I'm excited. But anyway, I think my time's up. I need to, <laughs> I need to um, give way. Hopefully that's given you a, a little bit of an overview. Over to you, Ryan. Thank you so much, Len. That's fantastic. Um, I think that I can speak for everybody that was really interesting and a uh, you know really fantastic insight into um, some of the history of Gibraltar. So thank you for that, Len. Uh, I'm now going to pass over to Peter. Thanks, Ryan, and thank you, Len. Uh, yeah, that is very nice. Um, bringing together Gibraltar's history <laughs> and prehistory. Um, so just by way of introduction, um, I am a lifelong soldier. All my, uh, from being 15 and a half years old, I was in the military. I started with the Royal Artillery, got to Gibraltar as an artillery instructor, fell in love before the plane touched down. I stayed in Gibraltar, joined the infantry in the then Gibraltar Regiment, then the Royal Gibraltar Regiment, and served them for more years than I can actually remember. Doing 34 years in total service to, to the Queen then and, and country. Um, on arriving here, it becomes very obvious to you that you can't you can't visit Gibraltar without experience in the military history. It is manifold and manifest. You turn a corner, it's in your face. Um, and as Len alluded to, real estate in Gibraltar, especially in the last 10 years, has become such a precious commodity that we are in danger of losing specific sites. Luckily, some of the sites that are most important to me and closer to my heart are up in the nature reserve at the very top of the rock. So I, um, I live in the hope that that remains the case and nobody is given permission to develop that far up the rock. Um, we've seen massive development down in the, the local town area. A personal opinion, not all for the better, uh, but we have to move with the times. The life moves on, uh, communities move on, and we require housing, we require everything that goes with it. So um, why am I interested in these guns? Now, I, I trained as an artilleryman. The first guns that I ever worked on were 25-pounders, uh, a World War II gun that um, were kept on for training soldiers you know, in the 1970s, they became saluting guns very quickly after World War II. And we use for ceremonial purposes. We maintained some in Gibraltar for that purpose. And I was honoured and lucky enough to have served on the guns from the very start to becoming battery sergeant major of Thompson's battery and delivering the gun salutes on Royal, on Royal Special Occasions and so on on the rock. So, yeah, my tie-in to the gunnery side of it has always been close to my heart. Um, the range of artillery pieces that we have in Jib is amazing. Uh, unfortunately, there is no specific body set up to champion the cause. There is no fund you can hit on and say, that particular gun needs some TLC. 
uh, here's the funds, go do it. It doesn't exist. So we uh, unfortunately have to dig deep and we have to uh, ask for funds whenever this comes across. In the past, we've been quite fortunate in the military trying to keep their links with Gibraltar have offered their services to come across and do specific uh, service to the guns. And uh, so far, I'd say in, in modern times, that's dropped off because the army's taken on new roles and it's far too busy to come across here and, and look after uh, artifacts. Um, I've been busy on a few guns in Gibraltar when, just before we got locked down, before the world got locked down, I was I did med steps, and at the top of med steps, I chanced upon some people leaving Lord Airy's battery. Um, I did I didn't challenge them because they ran away too quickly for me to challenge them. But when I got into the battery, I found that there'd been a specific amount of vandalism going on within the gun. Uh, so um, I called the relevant authorities, who under lockdown were not in a position to come and help. So I started work myself. I then approached my colleagues on the Gibraltar Heritage Trust and said, look, we have a bit of an issue. I can get involved in this and sort it out, but I need your backing. So they gave me that backing. The reason that I am con I'm concerned and the reason I was involved is this. This much to me is very important. It's named after General uh, Richard Airy or Lord Airy. Now, he was governor of Gibraltar from 1865 to 1870, but his military career before that is, is very prolific. And to have a battery named after him as governor, uh, I think is an awesome thing to have. We have several batteries that are named after governors on the rock, but this is one that for some reason seems to have been somewhat bypassed or neglected in that it's not in the prominent place that its sister battery at O'Hara's is placed. O'Hara's is visible for everyone to see. Lord Aries sits directly behind it. It's exactly the same kind of gun. It's a 9.2 inch breech loading gun that's been up there since well there's been there's been 9.2 inch guns up there since the early 1900s. Uh, before there's always been guns there since uh, sorry Guns have been there, uh, six-inch naval guns have been present before the 9.2s came in uh, on one of the military reports for upgrade. Now, when you see that gun, it is very, uh, what's the word? It, it's in your face. It's very prominent, uh, just of, of its capabilities without even going to it. Now, that is just the tip of the iceberg. When you go down below that gun battery, there are the pump rooms, the signals rooms, the ammunition magazines that make that thing tick. And all of this, we were in danger of either losing artifacts for, through theft or just by general rotting away. So I got, I deliberately got myself involved in this. I've been at it for two years now. I can't let it drop. I'm still. I've only came. I've only just washed my hands before we came on from being up there sorting things out today and and uh, trying to revive this gun back to its former glory. But enough on what I'm doing. I think I've taken enough of your time and 
I'd like to hand back to you, Ryan, because I think Andrew could take this forward um, more eloquently than I can. <laughs> Thank you so much for that, Peter. That was fantastic. Um, a really interesting insight and I guess a first-hand um account of, of of that history so thank you for that um yeah i'll now hand over to andrew thank you very much it's, it's lovely to see you all the, this evening so to introduce myself i'm andrew lord chief executive of the charity elaborate christian care and support i expect most of you have never heard of the charity before so i just want to spend a couple of minutes talking a little bit about what the charity does first before moving on to the exciting Lord Aries project that we got involved in. So the charity's name, Elabore, is a Spanish word that means I will praise. And a lot of people, particularly where we're operating in the southwest of England and Wales, can't say the name of the charity. So it's Elabore as in Cabaret. Okay. And it comes from a hymn that the founders were singing back in 1991, a hymn, Elabore Monsignor, uh, praise. Uh, God, praise the Lord. The charity was founded in 1991, specifically set up to work with the vulnerable and marginalised in our communities. And we do that through the provision of supported housing, some 350 bed spaces of accommodation throughout the southwest of England and Wales. And what we mean by supported housing is, yes, the accommodation, but also staff on site to support the vulnerable residents that live there. We work with five key client groups. We work with the homeless, people with learned disabilities, people with enduring mental illness, vulnerable young people, and veterans of working age who have either found themselves homeless or at risk of homelessness. Last year, we supported some 2,000 vulnerable people, predominantly in those residential projects, but also in community projects, information advice services, projects that get people active as well. And that's been particularly important because we've had two years of government saying, you know, you've got to remain in lockdown, you've got to stay in your own home, you've got to avoid um, meeting up with people. And therefore it's about getting people active again. And the organization itself employs 280 staff members and some 200 volunteers. My interest in Gibraltar came about because my father served out there in the 1990s. And since the 1990s, the family have visited Gibraltar on many occasions, and we've all fallen in love with the place, its history, its culture, its people, where it sits geographically as well. Yeah, and it's complete a place that we've found of many contrasts, and that has you know, made it so lovely for us all. What I also found, though, was that in working with veterans uh, in the charity, many veterans, while serving, uh, were stationed in Gibraltar. And almost everyone who had ever been to Gibraltar spoke very warmly about their time there. And then from that, it was a discussion about how do we bring together the work of the charity supporting vulnerable veterans and, and Gibraltar. And that came about because of a chance conversation with, with Pete Jackson. But before I go into that, I'm just going to hand back to Len just to check that we've covered all the introductory bits before I go into why we got involved in Lord Airy's battery. Uh, I think we have. I think it was over to Rain. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah, fantastic. I think that's um, all of the introductory stuff. Um, 
uh, gone through. So, Andrew, I'm happy for you to start talking about the Lord Aries Battery Project. Brilliant. So I'm going to share my screen now. There is a PowerPoint presentation and there's also three video clips of people who took part in the project as well. Uh, when I had a practice at seven o'clock, it all worked perfectly. So that's probably now the kiss of death on the, the presentation, but let's give it a go. So I'm just going to share my screen now. So hopefully you can see um, the start of the presentation. Yep. yep, we can see that. Great. Okay, so Elaborate, as I explained, works with vulnerable people. And we're very much about supporting our clients to develop, to address the issues of why they became uh, vulnerable in the first place. And what we learned as we supported the clients over some 30 years is getting out and about, getting involved in projects is an important part of their personal development. And therefore, what we also saw is in terms of Gibraltar, it's wonderful history about how can we get our veterans who had served out in Gibraltar, had fond memories of Gibraltar, of Gibraltar getting back involved in supporting Gibraltar. And, and therefore, we created this project with three objectives. The first objective, to support the continual development of the participants, to help them improve their mental health, their well-being. Secondly, to give something back to Gibraltar as well. You know, as I said, veterans have a fond memory of the place and therefore something about how do we give back to a place that they enjoyed working there. And then thirdly, for the charity, for Elaborate, you know, if the project had a benefit as part and that came out of the evaluation, how do we build that enduring link between Elaborate and Gibraltar in order to support future restoration projects in order to support further projects that improve the well-being of our service users. And it all came about for a chance conversation back in 2021. I and the family were on holiday in Gibraltar and we met up with Pete. Now, Pete, and I'm going to make him blush a little bit, is an outstanding guy. He gave us a tunnel tour and a tunnel tour. And during that tunnel tour, he explained all the exciting things that he's been involved in and some of the challenges as well. And one of the things that came out of that was the fact that he only has two hands and therefore what he needed was further willing hands to help him on the restoration of, of projects. We went and visited Lord Airy's Battery and Pete explained that some of the things that he'd been working on, but it was also very clear that one man, despite Pete with all his capabilities and skills, needed further help to work on Lord Aries Battery. And therefore what we created was a one week project that occurred in May, 2022 to support Pete on working on the restoration of Lord Aries Battery. A project that cost some 15,000 pounds and the costs were met in part by the Friends of Gibraltar Heritage Society, the government of Gibraltar and also various other charities and donors as, as well. So Pete was our main contact in Gibraltar and you know, he has a wonderful knowledge of all the heritage uh, there. What we created was a team of 10 veterans. Some of them were staff members, some were beneficiaries, some were volunteers. And these veterans, uh, particularly the, uh, the ones who've been through our homes and services, our beneficiaries came together to support the project. 
And we added up the number of years they were involved in the military. And between the 10 of them, they had over 100 years of military service. They covered all the regiments and corps in the British Army, the Royal Navy, the Royal Marines, REMI, Royal Signals, and, and so on. And they were all very enthusiastic about taking part, but we also recognised that they had a history, for some of them, of vulnerabilities, homelessness, poor mental health, in the past, alcohol addiction, and, and so on. So it was very much a project that tapped into a place they had fond memories of, but was also to support their personal development as well. And the other key aspect of the success of the project was the um, uh, ambassadorial support that we had in Gibraltar. Elabre has an ambassador in Gibraltar, but also some of our ambassadors from UK also supported the project as, as well. So what did Pete get us to do? Well, uh, essentially it was working on the blast shield of the gun, these chipping and scraping, the removal of rust, of, removal of old paint, and then uh, undercoating and a top coat uh, as well. And Pete, uh, he des designed the work such that the team of 10 could operate all at the same time. Some working on the top of the gun shield, some working at the lower level, some working on the spare barrel, and also others working on uh, the walls and other ancillary buildings around the site as well. I have to say, when I visited the project back in February, as part of the uh, you know, identification of the project, at its height at the very top of the Rock of Gibraltar, the fact that the scaffolding was going to be put up as well. I have to say, I was rather nervous taking this group of 10 people to work on such heights. But Pete uh, had done a thorough risk assessment, uh, the health and safety risk assessment, both for the activity, and we also looked at the risk assessment about the people as well. And we had sufficient helmets, gloves, overalls, safety goggles, high-vis jackets, and, and so on. It was a project that had risk, but actually we managed that risk very well. So some pictures, what we've, what we've been talking about. Well, if we look at the, the bottom picture on the screen, you can see uh, the side of the, uh, of the gun um, and the blast shield as well. And as I said, it's at the very uh, top of the rock of Gibraltar. And the other pictures, you can see some of the team, firstly, uh, chipping away the old paint on the top left-hand side, uh, picture, but also on the top right-hand side, starting to paint uh, the gun and the blast shield as, as well. It's fair to say during the week, it was very hot. Uh, the team worked uh, incredibly hard. And what was absolutely lovely from my perspective, and I'm not a veteran myself, was the fact that this was this group of people who'd come together, they hadn't known each other, but at, uh, at 9 a.m. on the Monday morning, they started work and they worked hard throughout the whole of the, the five days as, as well. Yes, there was a lot of banter, there was a lot of camaraderie, a lot of joking, but actually as a team, they really applied themselves uh, to the project. And you know, I can talk a little bit about, and I will, what uh, the project as well. But what I want to do now is just for you to hear, and each clip only lasts about a minute, uh, three of the team members who actually took part in the project and what they got out of it. You're going to hear from Karen, ex Remy, Andy, Andy ex Royal Signals, and Kenny, uh, ex Royal Navy. Okay, so you should now.
hear from Karen. Hi, my name's Karen Langley and I'm part of the Heritage um, Project and it's been absolutely fantastic. I've worked on this and up on the gun up there. Um, it's been great coming together as a team with veterans and as you can gather, veterans get together and there's banter, lots of laughs, lots of joking about. Um, it's been really good and everybody's been so positive. We've been absolutely worked every day so hard um, but there's still smiles on everybody's faces and um, yeah we're looking for a little bit of downtime um, but all together. Good morning everybody I'm Andy a veteran of 24 years and currently with Heritage Project in Gibraltar. It's Friday this is our last day on this task um, and we've been here really in all the heat. Today's unfortunately not so good, however, it's likely to clear and we'll be back baking very shortly. Just right here is we're actually on the top of the gun as we see at the moment, and we as all colleagues have had to scrape this entire um, gun down right back as far as we can. Red oxide in it, two coats, and then two coats of top coats. You can see this luscious, luscious battleship grey. I can't give you the square meters because I haven't worked it out yet. However, if we then move forward, you can start to see the barrel, which is where we've also done quite a lot of work on this one. It's surprising the amount of uh, bits that came off of this. And as you can see now, it's looking absolutely splendid. We're continuing now just doing one or two of our last bits, last little dust down, um, and later today we'll be completing the project which has been absolutely fantastic. So I look forward to seeing you or hearing you at some stage. I do hope you do get a chance to get on this project. So good luck, everybody. Thank you for listening. Hi there, I'm Kenny. I'm a Royal Navy veteran. Um, I served for 15 years and I came up here with a laborator to help restore um, Lord Airy's battery. Um, I've been working on the gun um, and some of the, the, the um, things a bit lower down um, and it's been a fantastic week, a hard week, hot weather, um, but we've all pulled together. I think personally for me it's been a bit of a, a closure, so I first came to Gibraltar in 1998 as a young 17 year old on HMS Cornwall um, and I'm now back at Gibraltar as a 41 year old. Um, and it's, it's given that bit of closure of my own personal battles and, and demons um, and also allowed to me to rediscover my own personality, being with a group of veterans again and uh, that, the banter that's been flying around and the teamwork and the ethic. Um, so, so thank you for Elaborate for letting us come out here and to the Gibraltar Heritage Trust and the um, Friends of Gibraltar for uh, letting this happen and uh, hopefully I'll be back next year. They were a fantastic team, all 10 of them working on Lord Airy's battery. We actually did a thorough evaluation of the project afterwards and the team described it as a extremely positive experience. It improved their physical and mental well-being. Uh, it was a complete success in all areas. Um, and we actually did a scoring mechanism and the average score was some 9.2 out of 10. And what really touched me was the fact that People described this as a project that they made friends for life, which they uh, intended to keep in touch uh, as, as well. So what was achieved? Well, firstly, it was a, uh, a great achievement for everybody who took part. 
It was also uh, an achievement in the sense that it was a first for Elabre, taking a team of veterans out to Gibraltar. For the team, they said, we did this and really got behind the project. The project itself was kindly supported by uh, the governor of Gibraltar, who visited us on one of the days, uh, supported by the commander of British forces, King's Chapel, uh, the government of Gibraltar, local press, and, and so on. And we had an amazing amount of support uh, for the project. It was a project that I, the team, and the organization, and hopefully Gibraltar as well, can be very proud, on, proud of. We saw a group of people who didn't know each other come together, work on heritage, but also improved their own well-being as well. As far as I'm aware, it's the first time a, a team has come out from uh, UK, a team of veterans, to work on a, a project like this in Gibraltar before. Uh, if we can raise the necessary funds, I hope to work with Pete and others in doing future projects out in Gibraltar. But also, it's provided a template to do projects elsewhere. And for those of you who are familiar with South Wiltshire, uh, off the A30 are a number of military badges that have been carved into the chalk hills. And back in September, a team of veterans went and assisted uh, and provided tender love in care to the military badges there as, as well. It was a project though, it wasn't a straightforward project, and it was a project that really came together because of the hard work of, of many people, because of the hard work of Pete and the Friends of Gibraltar Heritage Society, who financially supported the project, but also encouraged us as well. And I'm also very grateful for the support from the Gibraltar Heritage Trust, the fact that they allowed us to go onto this piece of heritage and to provide the tender loving care that it required. So an opportunity to ask questions in a, in a minute, um, but I'm just gonna put up one final slide. And this is a picture of Lord Airy's battery in 1900. It hasn't got the blast shield uh, then. And I have to say, I found it um, on the internet and it really was a pleasure to take part in restoring an important part of Gibraltar's military heritage. Thank you. Thank you so much, Andrew. I mean, I, I think I can speak for everyone again. That was absolutely fantastic. I think it's so nice to hear. Um, I mean, we, we all love these sort of stories, right? It's so nice to hear different types of people coming together in order to restore such a significant part of Gibraltar's history and their military history. So um, that's absolutely fantastic. Thank you for that. Uh, I would now like to open up to the floor. So if you have any questions, make sure you pop them into the uh, into the chat. Uh, I do have one initial question from Hernan. Uh, he says, I would like to know if Gibraltar had a strategic function in the First World War. I don't know if any of you would like to pick up on that question. Peter, do you want to answer that? Oh, Peter, you're muted. Sorry, just, just trying to unmute mute myself. Um, Gibraltar's uh, input during World War II, our position during World War One, shall I say, not of the same um, depth that it was in World War Two. Uh, there were <coughs> uh, a number of... Uh, well, the rock's always been covered in guns. There was a strategic plan during World War 
one there were guns that were manned we didn't see anything like uh i say we i'm not that old gibraltar did not see the amount of activity in world war one nor even close to it that we saw in world war ii because as the axis forces were rooting through you know the the routes are different the priorities are different but yes gibraltar was still militarily manned and ready to do its business uh, at that time thank you and i just have a question so what sort of um what sort of main role did gibraltar play in world war ii well, World War Two. I mean, um, Gibraltar, you can see it on the, the Royal Air Force's uh, plaque today, it guards the gateway. Uh, entry to the Mediterranean from this side, there's only one way you're getting in on the surface of that water, and that's through the Straits of Gibraltar. Gibraltar played a massive part in uh, defending this region. It played a part in the resupply and the defence of Malta, Aircraft were brought up from the UK, assembled here and flown to Malta. And the support for Operation Torch, the moving to North Africa, was all taking place from, uh, from, from Gibraltar. And yes, I know the troops never moved through here, but that's not to say Gibraltar wasn't prepared. Accommodation was prepared for 1,650 men to be accommodated inside the rock ready to move to North Africa. Now, that accommodation was not used for that purpose because those landings went in through Malta. However, Gibraltar was of key strategic importance and um, it, it's, in, it's in your face. Everywhere you go, we still have the remnants of that for everyone to see. Thank you, it's fantastic. Um, and I just have a personal question. So I'm I'm half Moroccan and I'm really interested in the influence of Moroccan culture in Gibraltar because um, obviously we know that um, the similar thing with CETA um, where there is sort of that um, regional European influence. So I don't know if any of you can sort of talk about Moroccan influence. This is me being selfish and wanting to ask my question. <laughs> Go on, Len. Yeah, the Moroccan influence uh, has been um, very, very strong. In the 1960s, the border with Spain, as you may know, was shut. Um, we have, uh, I think at the time, there was around seven or 8,000 laborers came across the border every day to work in Gibraltar from Spain. When the border was shut, all that labor force was immediately withdrawn. Uh, one of my uncles was one of the carpenters that, that was, cut off from that and all work just just shut down. So Gibraltar struggled. And the only way it could meet its demand was to bring people over, bring labor force over from Morocco. Now, uh, I remember being 13, 14 in 68, 69. And overnight, it seemed like an invasion of Moorish people <laughs> coming over to fill the gap. And with it came their culture, came their language, came their traditions. Um, many of these Moroccans have stayed on. And now there's a very strong uh, and vibrant Moroccan community in, in Gibraltar, to such an extent that there is now a, a mosque on the southernmost tip of Gibraltar. And it's actually the biggest in Europe, which for a small place of two and a half square miles is pretty impressive. 
But the Moroccans have integrated just as the Jewish people, just as uh, all the other uh, cultures that we have there. Um, it's quite amazing to see how close and how friendly and how cooperative all the all the communities and all the cultures um, have been there. So Gibraltar, when you walk up and down different parts of Gibraltar, you'll see Moroccan shops. You'll see certain cafes that that tend to frequent more Moroccans than anywhere else. They they almost have um, their own little, well, they do have their own little uh, community there, uh, alongside the Jewish, the Italians, the expat Brits. So it's very, very impressive. And of course, the um, there's a lot of gratitude from Gibraltar towards Morocco, because without the Moroccan help, and it wasn't just that, it was also the food and the regular supplies that we now needed from Morocco, which wasn't coming in from Spain. So uh, thank you to your <laughs> fellow Moroccans from, from Gibraltarian. Well, you, you are very welcome. <laughs> um, we've got another question from um, Richard Lord, who says um, perhaps Andrew would be able to outline a little bit more about um, the charity's intentions for next year. Yes, thank you. So my hope is, is that we can do the same again, taking a team of veterans across to Gibraltar to work with Pete and the GHT uh, in order to restore some heritage and also to improve uh, the veterans' well-being and their own path care pathway as well. Pete and I have had some early discussions and, you know, although good progress has been made on Lord Airy's battery, there is still far more work to be done there as well. And within a uh, hundred yards or so of Lord Airy's battery is O'Hara's battery uh, as well, that could similarly do with some tender loving care as well. So at the moment, our early discussions are about uh, flying out in April next year with a team of, veteran for, a team of veterans for a week to work on one, possibly two of the batteries. There are some, some hurdles to overcome, Firstly, I need to raise the necessary funds to make it happen. The project will cost approximately £15,000 uh, to do. And then secondly, and whilst I don't think this is going to be a major hurdle, making sure that we have all the appropriate permissions in place in order to work on these valuable heritage assets. That's really interesting. Thank you, Andrews. Uh, go on, Len, you've got your hand yeah, Raymond, I'd just like to add something. I mean, what came out of the project when... when Andrew presented it to us and the board. Uh, we were really excited because obviously it ticks so many of the boxes um, for us in terms of the things that we get involved in. But the uh, two big things that came out for it, certainly for me uh, and, for, and for the board members as well, is what is possible when you collaborate with other organizations that have overlapping interests, resources, capabilities. And with the Lord Aries battery, we did something together that the Heritage Trust in Gibraltar, that the Friends and the Alibari could not have done on their own. It was only by being imaginative and uh, collaborative that we were able to come up with that. And that's what we're looking at. For We're looking at, instead of looking at the Friends and sort of saying, well, we've got a bit of money, we'll help with this project, we'll, we'll always do that. But we're able to think a little bit bigger now by collaborating with all the other organizations. And one of the things, I mean, I'm sure you've got members of the overseas territories all around the world um, listening in, 
is I would invite you all to, to, to think creatively, be imaginative, but also be collaborative. What can you do with fellow organizations where you have interesting uh, interests that overlap that you can't do on your own and go for it? Awesome, thank you, Len. I was wondering if you could tell, um, tell me a little bit about sort of the, the importance of that heritage um, for the future. So in terms of, I mean, obviously this project, I think is a fantastic example of um, collaboration and um, various organizations coming together you know, to, to sort of support and preserve uh, Gibraltar's heritage. I wonder if you could tell me a little bit about the importance of that going forward. I mean, sort of looking at thinking about children and um, children in schools in Gibraltar, then really, you know, understanding the importance of Gibraltar's heritage and of Gibraltar's history. What do you think the sort of significance and importance of that is moving forward? Yeah, it, it, it's fundamental. It goes right down to the roots of what being a Gibraltarian is. Um, we're all familiar with the challenges that Gibraltar and Gibraltarians have had over the last 50, 100 years, if not the last few hundred years. But one of the things that uh, has come out of all of this is an incredibly passionate and strong sense of identity that Gibraltarians have. And to be a Gibraltarian is not just that we were born there and we have grandparents that, that, that lived there, um, that we are intrinsically um, meshed in with the history and the heritage of Gibraltar. It is part of who we are. So all Gibraltarians are extremely pa passionate and protective about the history and the heritage of Gibraltar. Uh, and of course, this is what I alluded to earlier on. We've got this massive challenge of how do we keep that going because it is who we are and we don't want to lose it but at the same time uh, the world moves on um, everything grows pressure on land grows demand on resources grows and is constantly banging on the door of heritage sites and resources so for the future it's how can we be creative and collaborative and um, and maintain that heritage stroke identity because to us it is part of our identity and yet still move modern still become wealthier still become more and more significant in spite of our size on the world it's a massive challenge but so far i'm, I'm optimistic i'm optimistic <laughs> Thank you, Len. That's fantastic. Um, I've got another question for you, Len, just specifically about um, Gibraltar's economy, because I remember when we were sort of discussing the, this event, um, what's quite interesting is the developments that have happened um, over recent years around Gibraltar's sort of leading role in digital, digital currencies. And obviously, the, so the Gibraltar economy, as far as I'm, uh, as far as I'm aware, is sort of primarily based around the service sector. Um, but this sort of um, influence of digital currencies and Gibraltar have actually been a leading figure and leading role in the world when it comes to digital currencies. So I wonder if you could shed a little bit of light on, on that. It, it, to be honest, it's not my area of expertise, but I do follow the news um, and it has grown significantly. And just uh, I think it was a few weeks ago, um, there was some uh, the Gibraltar, I think it's the stock exchange in Gibraltar, has been bought out by an organization from the UK and some of its legal kind of constitution has changed which is which enables it now to generate or raise funds in Europe which up till now has not been able to do 
Now, I don't understand the ins and outs of it because that's not my area of expertise, but I've heard many people in the finance sector in the UK and in Gibraltar uh, get extremely excited about what that means in terms of opening up Gibraltar significantly. I mean, one of the facts that came out is a third of all car insurance policies that are um, issued in the UK are underwritten in Gibraltar. And for such a small place, that's it, it, it goes to show it's one and a half billion is the GDP of Gibraltar uh, with only 35,000 people. Um, it it packs way above uh, its weight. Yeah, I mean, it really is remarkable the um, sort of economic influence that Gibraltar has been able to wield over the past, I mean, I would say the past few decades with, uh, in terms of sort of looking at the future and um, Gibraltar's economy, you, you mean, geographically it's much smaller and the, the population is much smaller, um, but the, the amount of economic influence they've been able to wield, I think, is just remarkable. Yeah. And um, yeah. and it, being able to preserve Gibraltar's heritage, I think, is an incredibly important part of that, because as Gibraltar moves forward, you know, looking towards the future and um, all of these new developments that we see um, moving forward, I think that preserving Gibraltar's heritage will probably be one of the most important aspects of, um, I guess, Gibraltar's charitable aims. Yes, yes. Awesome. I think we've got so we've got one more question from Jason, and this is I I believe I guess for Andrew, uh, primarily, but um, for everybody as well. So Peter, and Len, um, what do you think you should you guys are going to be working on? Uh, you know, after the Lord Area's Battery project, what sort of things will you be looking to work on in the future? Pete, do you want to start off with telling everybody your long shopping list of projects? <laughs> <laughs> um. Well, the, the first being uh, the continuation of Lord Area's battery. It's not over yet. It's a long time from being over. And with the inclusion of what we intend to do on the Ridge batteries with the painting of O'Hara's, that adds to it. I do have things that I'd like to sort of hit on, but I'll come back to that that we started with, the, the eight fingers, two thumbs. I've got to be honest, um, I do suffer now when I get in on a night, my hands uh, feel like they belong to somebody else sometimes when I get back in. And I I want to continue uh, to try and preserve the artillery artifacts that I can, uh, but I'm very aware that without that support and assistance that it's not uh, going to be possible for me to do much for much longer. There are a number of guns that I would like to hit. There's uh, searchlight batteries that I'd like to hit. There is family things that I want to do. And uh, I, I see myself giving another two years of my life in this direction and achieving what I can and then maybe handing the torch to someone else or taking a lower role in, in future refurbishments. But uh, we'll just play by ear. As I'm starting to say to people now that I was born with a disability. Uh, that's that I've only got eight fingers, two thumbs. Yeah, the, I need hands. I need people that are willing to give those hands. And um, any support that can be given is greatly appreciated. If anybody wants to see what we're doing that doesn't already know of it, there is a, 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 I think it's a Facebook page that was set up by my, my daughter, Rachel, 
called Pete's Projects Gibraltar, where I'd send the photographs in and she'd post the photos of the improvements to what we're working on. That comes with also a link in to a Just Giving page. What I do is voluntary and people make donations to assist me to do what I do. And without that assistance and that encouragement that I get from people saying, like what you're doing, continue. that's what motivates me to continue doing what I'm doing. I hope that answers the question <laughs> to Andrew. <laughs> yeah, I think it's also fair to say that uh, in terms of uh, the people Elabrae are supporting, uh, veterans, young people, uh, there's a huge amount of interest that's been generated by the, the work that we did back in May. So we have a number of people who are waiting, uh, looking forward to the opportunity to go to Gibraltar and to assist uh, Pete in uh, working on these important bits of, of heritage. And yeah, that's a great place to start. We've got the willing hands. Uh, the only challenge, not the only, but one of the challenges is about raising sufficient funds to, to make it uh, happen. But you know, we're there, Pete, to help you if we can just square the financial circle. Thank you, that's fantastic. I think it's um, really good to hear about all the work that you've all done and all the work that you plan to do in the near future. So thank you. Um, I was wondering if each of you could tell us um, how we can get involved. If we want to support the, your um, organisations and we would like to uh, potentially even go over to Gibraltar and support you or even just from home, how can we support you? So I'm going to start off with Andrew, if you could tell us, how can we support Alabaro? That's very kind, thank you. Um, I mean, firstly, uh, to just support the work of the charity as, as a whole. You know, we are a major provider of care and support to vulnerable people, and each year we have to raise £1.7 million uh, to keep the work going across the southwest of England and, and Wales. Alongside that, we have been inspired by the project in Gibraltar, and if anyone on the screen wishes to help us deliver the next project with Pete, please get in contact. I'll let you know my email address and then people can contact me directly. And I think thirdly, I showed three videos. I've actually got 10 videos of the participants who took part. So if anyone was really inspired, um, I'm happy to show them as well at another time. They make good listening and watching. Thank you, Andrew. And Len, how can we get involved? Uh, the thing that immediately comes to mind is that in all the, in all the overseas territories, uh, there is always going to be a, a heritage um, aspect to what is going on there. And some of the overseas territories will have heritage uh, trusts, etc. Um, so maybe encouraging collaboration or facilitating uh, collaboration between the various organisations that are interested in, in the respective heritage. Um, that could be good because the project that we did last year and we're looking at doing next year with Alavare, well, that's transportable to anywhere. Um, and if we think bigger and if we think sort of creatively, imaginative and collaboratively, well, why are we limited to just one place? Um, there may be opportunities that where we can all share our experience and what we bring to a particular project and make it not just a one-on-one -on -one equals three, but a one-on-one -on -one equals four. So certainly something to explore. I'd love to do that. <laughs> 
Thank you, Len. That's fantastic. And uh, Peter, how can we get involved with any of the projects that you're working on? Uh, I'd say there's two parts of call, to be honest with you. One is uh, the Ministry for Heritage uh, in Gibraltar, uh, through the staff down there, uh, also through the Gibraltar Heritage Trust. Um, there is the third, which is directly into the Just Giving page that assists or volunteers, just hands-on. Anybody that's got time to come and give, give of their time to projects, um, that's what, for me, uh, makes the most difference. Um, it's great when I go down to do a job and there's an extra pair of hands there that can hold the other end of the timber on the bench while I'm sawing. You know, it's, <clears throat> it's, uh, it sounds basic, and it is basic, but that's what matters more than anything else for me is the ability to, to achieve the end goal with assistance. So um, the, the choice is up to the individual or the group that wishes to assist. Thank you, Peter. That's fantastic. And um, it's just gone nine o'clock now. So I think that we are going to um, leave that there. Oh, Andrew said in the chat, I recommend everyone to get involved with Pete's project. Hard work and very rewarding. Yay. Thank you for that, Andrew. I just want to say thank a huge, huge thank you to our speakers today, Len Goss, Peter Jackson and Andrew Lord. Thank you so much uh, for joining us today. And I think we all really, really enjoyed um, today's event. So thank you. Um, just before I let you all go, I'm going to do my job as FOTBOT events coordinator and let you all know about some of our events next year. So we have um, in four years of this, this December, we've got our uh, annual black tie Christmas dinner. Um, so look, look out for some photos on that. Um, it should be a really fantastic evening. I don't know if anybody here is, is attending uh, the Christmas dinner, but that'll be fantastic. And um, next year on the 21st of February, we have our 10 year anniversary book launch so football are coming out with a book um along with um Stuart mcpherson and i've written a chapter in it on the importance of self-determination so hopefully um you guys will be able to grab yourself a copy of that book next year but um on the 21st of february we have our book launch um in the city of london so if any of you guys are around it'll be fantastic to see you all there all the information is on the football website so um you can have a look at everything on there as well uh, we've got more events next year if you would li like to have a look at them have a look at the football website and you'll have all the information there um that's everything from me thank you so much everybody for joining us today and thank you to our wonderful speakers thank you thank you Bye. Bye. Have a lovely evening thank you.